Okay, I will. Or maybe I'll just avoid the second row altogether. <laughs> or I can say eye contact. Yes, Gracie? Yeah, Gracie. Yes, Gracie. You can do it that way. <laughs> you still wanted to make it hard on me tonight. That's really what you were doing. It's okay. I'll welcome the challenge. It gets boring if there's no challenges. Okay. So I personally uh, have a love-hate relationship with this series um, because <laughs> there's no pun intended, but I guess it can be taken that way. <laughs> that was an unintended dad joke. Um, <laughs> okay, good. All right. Then I will archive that and say it again in the future. Okay. Um, but this, this, this whole, the things we're going to talk about tonight and in the coming weeks are um, really born out of... Um, my heart, because of mistakes that I've made in the past, especially when I was in high school. Um, for those of you that have not heard my story, um, I've always been someone that I, yeah, let's just face it. When I was younger, I was in kindergarten, even before kindergarten, like I was always in love with girls. I just always was. I just, I've, I was, <laughs> okay, that does not give you carte blanche. You know, just, yeah, well, Steven did it. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, I just remember that, like, even, even my sister's, my sister's friends who would come over, uh, there was one in particular, her name was Julie, and I was smitten by her. And I just remember as they were coming over to our house that, you know, we would play as kids would do. And, uh, and I, Superman was always my favorite. So I always played the role of Superman, and she was my lowest lane. And so when she was in trouble... When she was in trouble, I would rescue her, and I was, I've, I've always been a hopeless romantic. It's just the way I've always been. But the other side of my personality, too, is that I am super, super loyal. And so knowing this about myself, I, could, I was not the type of person that I could date a lot of people. If I was interested in one person, I was loyal to that one person unless something happened, that whether it was something on their end or something on my end where I decided, you know what, that they're not the person that I thought that I was, and I changed my feelings about that person. Um, but even when I went through and, and, and I started dating when I was 16, which actually at this point, I really feel like that was too young to even start dating, looking back on it now um, as a 37-year-old. But my first serious relationship was when I was 16 years old, and my first girlfriend was the daughter of Mike and Kathy Vallejo. Some of you guys know Mike and Kathy. And it was one of those things where um, I, I, if there was someone that I was interested in that I wanted to date, as far as I was concerned, in my heart and in my mind, I was going to marry them. That's how serious that I took it. I've always been accused of being too serious, but that's the way I looked at it. And I don't think that's a wrong way to look at it either. Because when it comes to dating, eventually that's the person that you're going to marry if it gets to that point. And so I've always thought about those things, about those things early. But when it came to the whole dating, I could not date a whole lot of people. I mean, I can count on one hand the girls that I dated seriously, just because I would give my heart away and I was super loyal and it hurt deeply if it didn't work out. Um, there's only been one relationship where I ended up breaking it off and I waited way too long because uh, I thought that it could be worked out. I thought God could work it out, that I could work it out, that we could work it out together and it was a huge detriment to my testimony, um, to my walk with God and I should have ended it early and I didn't and I regret it. So a lot of the things we're going to talk about really comes out of a lot of anguish and a lot of heartache on my part personally. And this is something that is very, um, very precious to me, uh, very serious to me, that I really hope that you guys heed the advice that I give. Um, and the advice that comes from the scriptures and using my life as a template through which I can show you some of the biblical things about what I did right, what I did wrong, things that I wish I could go back and do differently, uh, and things you need to be aware of. And so this is very important. We usually do this study once every year to year and a half. It's been a little bit longer than that because of COVID and such. And so we've condensed it and I made it to hit the most important parts. But this is something I like to hit every single year in the youth ministry just because things change so much from freshman year to sophomore year. Year, to, to junior to senior year between friendships relationships the dynamics in the family your emotional maturity your spiritual maturity that each year I've had students that have gone through it every single year of high school and the way that it hit them as a fresh freshman is not the way it hit them as a sophomore junior senior and there's different aspects that you need every single year 
So we're going to go through some of these things, and for the most part, many of you have never heard these things before. Um, I'm just going to share my heart. We're going to open up the scriptures together, and we're going to take a look at this. And I really hope that this causes you to think through, um, and it's not going to be easy. So let's go ahead and dive right into this. Um, we, we're doing this one because this goes with our topic, Redeeming the Time. And we've been talking about decisions that affect eternity. And I'm telling you, outside of your salvation, which is the most important decision that you will ever make, who you date and who you end up marrying is the second most important decision that you will ever make because it will determine the course of your life. It will. Um, you make a, a wrong mistake about the person that you, that you marry and that you join your life to, uh, it could have devastating consequences. Uh, and a lot of people think, well, shoot, I can just get divorced. Well, I'm telling you right now from my own family's experience um, and even from the experiences that I've seen as a pastor, divorce never solves anything. In fact, it makes things more complicated. And some of you that are in that type of a scenario, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It makes it very difficult. So it's better to not make a decision than to make the wrong one. Let's put it that way. It is better to remain single for the rest of your life than to marry the wrong person. And that is an absolute truth statement. So we're talking about decisions that affect eternity, and so we're talking about dating. But we hit authority first, and then we talked about friendships last week, and now we're going to be talking about dating. I, <laughs> I knew how you get some of that one. That's, that's great. I just, I loved it because, it's a shame. I mean, just look at it. Which one's the girl? <laughs> I mean, not just because the, the gloves and the mask, but the man bun. I just can't stand the man bun. I'm sorry. I just don't like the, I don't, I don't like the, I don't like the man bun. All right. All right. So when it comes to dating relationships, give me some volunteers. I need some people to read. So Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, Proverbs 28, 26. Thank you. Uh, I need someone for James 1, 22 through 25. Ethan, 2 Timothy 3, 7. Emily, uh, Gavin, go ahead and take, um, actually, that's it, because we're going to be doing the other one, so never mind. Okay. Sorry, dude. <laughs> All right. All right. Everybody else go to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel's Old Testament, one of the larger prophet books. You got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So it's right after Psalms. Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 33. And 33 is nested between 32 and 34. You're welcome. I always want to give good pieces of advice. You know, I think it's very beneficial. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> It's also a really good number because, you know, that was Jesus, that's the Jesus year. That's when he died. Yes, yeah, Jesus year. Yeah. <laughs> he did. He did. But he resurrected and he was 33 and he's forever 33. So, anyway. All right. Some of you are like, what, what, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So, let's get into this. Okay. So, dating and marriage. All right, you may have heard the phrase before, every date is a potential mate. If not, that's a, that's, a, that's a good one. While this phrase is quippy and easy to remember, it still rings true. Dating leads to engagement, and engagement leads to marriage. And even if you succumb to the cultural winds of our Laodicean culture and do not believe in the concept of marriage, almost everyone would agree that whoever you end up marrying, and I use that in quotes because some people don't get married, but they still choose to live together or cohabitate, is a critical decision. Outside of becoming a born-again believer, who you will marry is the most important decision you will make. And so you have to remember, you must remember who you are. If you are born again, you have to remember who you are. You are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and your life is not your own. You have to remember that. When it comes to the topic of dating and engagement and marriage, people look at that as a decision that they're making for the good of themselves. And they forget that you don't belong to you. If you're born again, your body, your life is not yours. It's the Lord's. So he should be involved in this very important decision. Most people just leave God out of big decisions, like where to go to school, what career to have, who they're going to marry. And that is the biggest mistake you could ever make. The biggest. And you don't think God talks about these decisions in the scriptures? Man, you're a fool if you don't think that. So you need to change the way you think. You belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here's another biblical principle. You're in this world, but not of this world. So you have to choose to rise up to the standard that is becoming of your family name. And unfortunately, that means that it's going to really limit your selection. But I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it if you're willing to follow these things. 
If you want to follow God's will in the realm of relationships, dating, and marriage, you must be willing to abandon your personal thoughts, feelings, and desires about this topic and believe the Bible. And this will be extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. I cannot articulate to you how difficult this is going to be. This is something that when I was your age, I was not willing to abandon my thoughts and my feelings on this topic. I just flat out wasn't. And I paid the price for it. I really was. It was something extremely difficult. It's, it's, you have to know that. So whatever you think, it's going to be way harder than what you think. And so here's some references that I want you just to keep in mind. So Ezekiel 33, take a look at verse 30. Because I think this is a, a perfect picture of not only us today as Laodiceans, but when it comes to your heart about this particular topic, devotionally, I think this is just perfect. Look at verse 30. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. So here you have this guy who's a prophet, Ezekiel. And in verse 30, they're speaking against him, but yet they want to hear what God has to say through him. So that's kind of the, the weird dynamic that's going on here. Verse 31, and this is God speaking here. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them a, as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. I feel like Ezekiel on this, Ezekiel on this topic. I feel like him so much. Because I can't tell you how many times these things that we've talked about, I will talk amongst my entire youth ministry about this over and over again. And some will take heed, many will not. And when these things come to pass that we're going to talk about, because it says it will come to pass because they're biblical principles, then they'll know that a prophet have been, have been among them. There are so many people that want to hear about this topic, and they're like, oh, that was so interesting, that's so cool. I've never thought about it that way before. And then they don't do anything about it. They don't do anything about it, and they just fall into these pits that they've created for themselves, and they come back to me and they say, Stephen, I should have listened to you. This happens all the time. It's one of the, it's one of the more, more frustrating things about ministry that I wish I could change, but human nature is human nature, and most people just have to learn the hard way. And I can't become apathetic to it. This is part of my responsibility. I have to share these things. I must share these things. I have to. But most people are just not going to hear me on it. So I hope that's not you today. So I'm hoping that you have a good, hard attitude going into this. Because here's the reality. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Okay, so this is a matter of the heart. And what does the Bible say about your heart, according to that verse? Deceitful and desperately wicked. And can you know it? No. Who knows it? God. The Lord does. This is important for you to understand because I have been in scenarios where I have been deceived by my own emotions, whether it's been through infatuation of, of somebody else or in a dating relationship where I was clearly in sin and I was just flat out blind, where I said I was okay, but I really wasn't. I was just deceiving myself and I couldn't see it. But God says that he sees. So in this matter of the heart, it's important for you to understand your condition. Before you even get there, or if you're already there now. I remember that there was a time that a friend of mine came to me and in a loving way rebuked me on my current relationship. And I just was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm fine. I wasn't. But in my mind, in that moment, in my heart, I was completely fine. But he saw me for who I was because you can't hide. Like the, the person that you are and the way you behave, it already, it already comes out. So whatever you think in your mind and your heart, it doesn't matter. Sometimes the things that you are, you don't even see, and it's right in front of your face. And the Bible talks extensively about that. Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever has that one? Oh, sorry. That's good. Okay. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Okay, so he that trusteth in his own heart is a 
fool. God calls you a fool if you trust in your own heart. And I grew up within a culture that said, well, just follow your heart. Okay. All right. So I did that, and it was like the worst mistake I've ever made in my life. It's, it's, it's not good. You should not be doing that. I, my heart is wicked and deceitful. It wants what it wants because of my flesh and my sin nature. And so I can't trust my own heart. And if I trust in my own heart, then I am a fool. I'm a fool. I can't do it. And so if God is the only one that knows my heart, well, now I have to do something. And this is the hard part. I have to lay my heart open before God and say, God, am I thinking right? Am I feeling right? And I got to look into the scriptures and see what's going on. Am I being obedient to this? And sometimes I can't even see that. So then I'll have to go to people that I trust that are walking with God, that are godly and saying, hey, look at my life. Am I doing this? Is there something off? Most people won't even do that. Most won't. Some will. Most won't. And even when you're confronted with the opportunity to do that, most won't. They just won't. Because they already know the truth deep down. Deep down, they're already convicted. They already know, but they want what they want, and they don't want to be bothered with the facts at all. James 1, 22 through 25. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, he, begin, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Okay, so we are called to be what of the word? Doers. Doers, not understanders of the word. Doers. You don't truly understand the word until you actually put it into practice. It's very important. God does not care how much you know about the Bible. What he cares about is what you do with what you know. That's so important. That is a solid biblical principle that will take you a long way. Because many Christians in our day and age are not willing to do what the Bible says. They want to understand it. They want to hear it. They want to break it apart. They want to criticize it. But they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. 2 Timothy 3.7 Ever learning and ever able to come to the knowledge of and that's the end result. They're ever learning. They always want to learn. They always want more information, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. Coming to the knowledge of the truth means that you understand the biblical principle and then you apply it to your life. You actually put it into practice and you behave accordingly, consistently. It's very important, very difficult, but very important. And it's not difficult to understand God's word. It's difficult to obey it because it goes against who we are. So that means you have to have a submissive heart attitude. And this is exactly why two weeks ago we talked about authority. Do you see how it all fits in now? I hope you do. We talked about authority because if you're not willing to be submissive in your heart towards God, then there's no way you're going to be submissive to God on this topic. There's no way. Absolutely no way. All right. So let's keep going in the paragraph. This world and our culture functions in opposition to God. So the world's approach to dating and relationships will never be God's approach. And often it is the exact opposite. And the best verse that I can find that I put on your guys' study sheet is this one. James 4.4 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now that's within the context of sexual immorality, of course, but it can be even spiritual immorality between you and God. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It's incompatible. You cannot follow the world's dating advice and expect it to turn out godly and biblical. It's never going to happen. And so if you're willing to be in the minority, to abandon the ways of this world, to do it God's way, it will be an absolute blessing to you. I mean, one of the greatest blessings that you will ever have on this planet, in this life. But you have to be willing to take a step of faith and obey God. And I'm hoping that you can learn some stuff from my mistakes and the mistakes of our leaders and some of the other things that we went through so you don't have to. Now, if you don't want to learn that, now that's your choice. But the whole point of this is I want to give you the information, I want to share my heart, and then what you do with it is completely up to you. And I so wish, this is one of those moments where I'm like, <laughs> like I wish I could take every single one of you and just force you to do it. Like I really wish I could. I really do, because there's so many things you could avoid that you do not want in your future life. You just don't. And so I'm hoping that you're willing to hear this. I really am. I really, really am. Okay, so this is our lovely picture. 
we talk about this, and it's funny, it came up. I'm doing some premarital counseling right now with two different couples. Um, one of the couples, um, I had them both in our youth ministry while we went through this lesson. And even in the premarital counseling, they brought this picture back up. They're like, oh, I remember when you did that picture. So there you go. It's going to be burning your noggin. So this picture is a beautiful picture about how relationships truly work out. And we're going to see how this illustrates in Genesis. But up the top, we have a representation for God. So you've got that beautiful throne. And then over here, this is you, self-portrait. I did a really good job. So, And then over here, the question mark, this could be anybody. This could be a friend, this could be parents, this could be someone that you're dating, whatever. So it's just another individual through which you have a relationship. And the emphasis is put over here on this side between you and God because the idea is, is that the closer you get to God, and the closer this person gets to God, then the closer you truly are together. And that is, in fact, how it works. Even through the years that I've been married so far to my wife, the closer I am to the Lord and the closer she is to the Lord, the closer she and, our, and, she and I are together. It always works that way. And so here's what I've found over the years, and even from my own life experience. If I want to get closer to God, and this person doesn't, then there's two ways this is going to go. What's the one way? They take you down, and now you cannot get close to God because this relationship now is more important than your relationship with God. Or, what's the other one? You have to end the relationship because it won't work out. Yeah, end it or it might be limited. And so there are some friends that were always at an arm's length in my life just because they had no interest in walking with God. And it saddened me because I cared about them and I wanted to have a relationship with them, but they did not want to have one. Similar with dating. There were several times that girls in high school wanted me to date this girl or that girl or whatever and like for one example this one girl was a catholic and they're like well catholics are basically christians anyway aren't they and i'm like well, no not really <laughs> and then it gave me an opportunity to share the gospel and to talk about the differences between catholicism and biblical christianity but i would not cross that line i just wouldn't if a girl was not saved i wouldn't that they would not even be in my consideration whatsoever it just was not an option for me if they were not saved, forget it. I'm not even going to consider it. I'm not going to even let my heart go there. But even beyond that, if someone says that they're saved, but they have no genuine interest to actually grow in their relationship with God, they were off limits too. I couldn't do that. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. And my mistake in high school was that there was a girl that I started getting close to and I shared the gospel to her. She supposedly got saved and she wanted to grow in her relationship with God, so I let my heart go. And that was a huge mistake. I should have waited. I should have waited to see if she truly wanted to follow the Lord, but I couldn't wait. And that's where a lot of people in high school just find themselves. They just can't wait. They think, well, now the person has a profession of faith, and they've been saved for two, three months. That's long enough, and now I can start to date them. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Remember, it's better to not make a decision than to make the wrong one and end up in a world of hurt. So this picture is very, it's full of wisdom. It's very important to understand. If you truly want to have a relationship where you can grow closer to God and closer together, then you both have to be pursuing your relationship with God. And we're going to see that here in Genesis, because Genesis is where this really lays out very, very well. All right, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the origin of relationships. Go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Now we have gone through this several times and from several different angles, but I beg of you as we go through these details that you would not hear them the way you've always heard them. I want you to look at this from the perspective, from the lens of relationships and from a dating perspective. And if you're willing to do that, then God's going to give you some serious wisdom that, that will save your life. Okay, so in talking about the origin of relationships, there's three in talking about relationships. Um, this is the general rule of Bible study of the law of first mention, or the consistency of God. Anybody remember that one? What's the law of first mention? What is the law of first mention, or the rule? Go ahead, Emily. Uh, when a phrase or like a word is first mentioned in the Bible, God usually provides a... Like a definition in the context of it? Because mm -hmm. it like, sets the tone for that word every other time. Yes. And so the first time you find relationships in the Bible it is going to set the tone for the purpose of relationships throughout the scriptures all the way up to us today and into eternity future. So the first relationship that you find in the Bible outside of the Trinity is the relationship between God and man. God and man. Now, chronologically, you could say that God had a relationship with Lucifer beforehand if you were to take into consideration Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. But as you read the scriptures from beginning all the way through, you find that the first relationship is in between God 
and man, God and man. So let's take a look at this. In chapter 1, Genesis 1, take a look at verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Go over to chapter 2. Chapter 2, in verse 7. So this is kind of what happened. It says here that God created man and woman, but now in chapter 2, God gives the details of the process through which he created man and woman. Verse 7, And the Lord God formed man not woman yet, man of the dust of the ground and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That's body, spirit, and soul. So there's the Trinity even within our existence right there. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he talks about the river that he created and then look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he, what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. So here you see that God creates man. He's about to create woman in verse 21, which we're going to get to in a minute, but we see that God creates man. And what does God give as far as the purpose of man? What is he supposed to do? Multiply. Yep. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. What else? Keep the garden. Yep. To dress and to keep the garden. To take care of it. What else? Yep. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What else? Yep. Yeah, be king. He's supposed to be the king. Adam was the first king. And God gave him dominion. And so he's supposed to be fruitful and to multiply. Now we see in chapter 1 that the woman comes along and he tells them both to be fruitful and to multiply. But here in chapter 2, before the woman comes along, he puts man in the garden to dress and to keep it. And then he says, all right, it's not good that you're alone because I have a mission for you. I've, been to I've told you to be fruitful and multiply. And man... Biology 101. Can't be fruitful and multiply if he doesn't have a counterpart. That's the way God made him. God made man to be dependent upon something else to be fruitful and multiply. God could have done anything. If God wanted Adam to be asexual, if you don't know what that means, it means he can have babies on his own. If God wanted Adam to be asexual, he would have been asexual, but he didn't. He created him to be heterosexual. And this is no slam against genders, even though we could absolutely do that. We're talking about just simple biology, very simple biology. He created man to be with a counterpart, the woman, in order to be fruitful and to multiply. This is common sense, which is frankly going out the window in our culture today. So here he says, it's not good that you're alone. Why is it not good? He can't do the mission. He can't fulfill his purpose. He can't be fruitful and multiply. Can he have dominion? Yeah, probably not as good. Probably helpful to have somebody else to help him out, to have dominion. Can he dress and keep the garden? Yeah, he can figure it out. Be helpful to have some help. Can he do these other things? Yeah, but can he be fruitful and multiply? No, so he is incomplete. He's incomplete in his purpose. And so here you have this relationship between God and man first. And so I want you to understand this. This goes back to our picture of the triangle. This goes back to this picture. Your relationship with God is top priority. Top priority. God did not create man and the woman and then bring them together. He created man and God, and God interacted with man, gave him a mission, gave him a purpose, told him how to do stuff, and gave him all this responsibility before the woman ever even came along. So this relationship with God was clearly established between him and the Lord. Same for you. It's the same for you. Your relationship with God must be clearly established. Before you ever, ever get tied to somebody else in this life, do you know your purpose? Do you know your God? Do you know how to walk with Him? Do you know how to do all these things? 
That's important to understand. Because if you don't, then when someone else comes into your life, guess what's going to stop? Your ability to glorify God because you didn't know how to glorify God alone. Very important concept you need to understand. So here, God gives him his purpose. He gives him his mission. He equips him. He puts him in this garden. And he says, it's not good that you're alone. I need to help you out here. You need something else in order to fulfill your mission. All right, and now the second relationship. God and woman. God and woman. God and man is the first one. God and woman is the second one. And again, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet for him. And help me. Now the help me comes along. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh and said thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they, both, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So this is the first surgery in the Bible. And if you don't know the, the history on it, this is kind of cool. A born-again believer uh, back during the Enlightenment period uh, read Genesis, and he believed what the Bible said, and he came up with the whole concept of anesthesia by believing what the Bible says. He believed that you could take a human body and put it into this stasis of sleep where you could actually perform surgery that would normally kill a person, and he did that, and he was very successful at it. It's kind of cool. And he did that based off of verse 21. So God causes him to go into a deep sleep, and he takes a part of the man, and he creates the woman. But notice what it says at the end of verse 22. And brought her unto the man. And brought her unto the man. Which means that God had to have a relationship with her first. Before God could take her unto the man to be his helpmate and join them together, he had to have a relationship with her first. So God could have done anything. Again, He can do anything that He wants to do. He is God. And this is the way He chose to do it. He chose to put the man to sleep, to take a part of his body, the rib cage. And what does the rib cage protect? The most vital organs of a human body. And through that, He creates this being called the woman. And He brings her unto the man. Very important. So again... Man and God, they have a relationship. He knows his purpose. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's given responsibility. He's placed in the garden. And now God puts him to sleep, performs surgery. Then he creates the woman. And then he talks with her. And he gives her a purpose, gives her a reason for existence. And then God brings her unto the man. And now you have the third relationship, and that is man and woman. And now they are together. And through their union together, they now can be fruitful and they can multiply. They can do what God told them to do back in chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, where it says, In God, and so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and God blessed them together, their union, their relationship. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. This could not have happened without the man and the woman together. In our culture, gender is being erased. And that is an affront to God. Men and the role of men are important. Women and the role of women are as equally important. Many people look at the Bible and they say that the Bible somehow demeans women. That is absolutely false. 100%. 100%. Men and women are different, and God has given them a purpose that is independent from one another. But when they come together, the man can now be a better man, and the woman now can be a better woman. And any biblical man and woman that submitted themselves to this concept biblically knows that it is absolutely true. I can tell you 100% that I am a better man because of my wife. How is that demeaning? And she is a better woman because of me. And that's how it's supposed to be. God created us to cohabitate together in this union of marriage between a man and a wife. That's how it's supposed to be. So this is the very first mention of relationships. And so you better believe this is going to carry all the way through. So spiritually speaking, before you even entertain the concept of dating, you better know how to walk with God. You've got to. You must. You have to. 
dating is already difficult as is. I mean, when you put two sinners together, it is difficult. It is extremely difficult. How much more difficult is going to be if you don't even know how to walk with God? I have seen so many students, and I've seen it in my own life, where I have chosen to enter into a relationship when I thought I knew what I was doing, and I completely didn't. There are so many relationships that I've seen throughout the years, from generation to generation, as people come in and out of the youth ministry, where they get into dating relationships, and it takes a relationship with God downward. And I'm telling you, that is not how it's supposed to go. It's not how it's supposed to go. A true biblical relationship will be one that you both are stronger and your walk with God is better because of each other. Not worse. Not worse. And if that's the case, what's more important? God or that person? Most people choose the person and they do not choose God. They abandon God for their own feelings, for their own desires, for their own emotions, their own agenda. That's what they do. That's what most people do. Alright, so what is the purpose of relationships? Why did God do this? It's very simple. We've talked about this in the past. The purpose of relationships is to glorify God. It's to glorify God. Yes, in the process, as a side benefit, you get to have a relationship that is deeper than anything else you experience in this life outside of Jesus Christ. And it is absolutely amazing. But I'm telling you, if you don't see your purpose between you and God to glorify Him then you'll never see your purpose as a couple in a relationship to glorify God together. And it's just going to be counterproductive. And you're not going to be able to glorify God. You're just not. You're not going to be able to. All right, let's take a look at a couple of verses on this one. Revelation 4.11. Again, we've said this one a lot, but this is a good one to repeat. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. We were not created for our own pleasure. Now, can you get pleasure out of a relationship? Absolutely. You can get pleasure on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, and on a physical level, obviously within the bounds of marriage, as the Bible states. But it needs to be done properly. Marriage is not for you. It's not. It never has been and never will be. That's a, that's a byproduct. That relationship that you can have with that other person, it is to glor glorify God. Really, the purpose of marriage is to make you more holy. That's really the purpose of marriage, when you really break it down. And our culture does not even, it's like a foreign language to them. That's, a, that's like, what are you talking about? Because in our culture, marriage exists to make you more happy. I mean, that's how it works. I mean, in any relationship, and you guys can see this between the dating relationships that maybe that you've been in, or even that you see at school. The only reason why this couple is dating is because that person brings something into their life to make them feel better. That's really it. And the moment that person stops, they become more of a burden than a pleasure to them, they're done. That's 98% that's of the time. That's how relationships work in, our, in the world today. So that's what the Bible says. And then Colossians 1.16, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And then we don't have time to look at this, but when you have a minute, and maybe we'll get into it, in the future weeks. But Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, it talks about the responsibilities of the husband primarily, but it talks about Christ and the church. And it's a beautiful picture because as you work through this part of the chapter in Ephesians 5, he's talking about husbands and wives, and then he starts talking about Christ and the church, and then he starts talking about husbands and wives again. And he freely interchanges husbands for Christ and wives for the church over and over and over again. And when you read that, you start to understand that the purpose of marriage is actually a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. And when a man is being like Christ and fulfilling his responsibilities, and the woman is being like the church and fulfilling her responsibilities before God, and they're doing that together, their lives together as a unified unit is putting on display the gospel for the entire world to see. And when you do it the right way, it is one of the most powerful, amazing things that could be a testimony to lost family members, lost friends. I mean, even when it comes to my relationship with my kids in school, with teachers. I mean, there are so many ways that this, this spills over into everyday life. So Ephesians 5 is a beautiful picture of that. All right, so I want to get into this real quick. Okay, so we got this picture. So this is another picture that I use, and we're going to be using this in the weeks to come. Fight through the tiredness. It's starting to get warm in here again. I think the thermostat kicked down. All right. So I want you to see this because God's way and the world's way are complete opposites. And so when you look at this, 
what you see from God's perspective when it comes to dating is going to be the exact opposite from the world's way. And we'll kind of work our way through this in the coming weeks for sure. But I want you to see this, all right? So you can fill this out on your guys' study sheet. And then I'll explain it. So God's way is first spiritual. The foundation is always spiritual. And then moving from there, it moves into the emotional side. And then from there, lastly, within the realm of marriage, then is physical. And the world's way is completely upside down. Because they like the physical first, and then emotional, and eventually when they get around to it, it's spiritual. So I want to explain this, because this is very important. This is something that I used and I learned years ago, frankly, after um, one of the biggest mistakes that I made in my relationships. I read a book, and this was a chart in the book, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, oh my gosh, why have I been missing this for so long? This is exactly what I needed, but I wasn't willing to listen to my parents or my friends or anything. And it was was something that just completely revolutionized my understanding of relationships. So God's way. When it comes to dating, the very first and most important thing is the spiritual aspect. Tell me why. Why is spiritual most important? I need to get you guys talking before you fall asleep with it getting too warm in here. Because that's where your relationship with God is. Yeah, okay. That's where your relationship with God is. What else? What else is a good reason why spiritual is most important? Because it's what actually lasts forever. Yeah. As far as your beliefs. Absolutely. Think about it from a logical perspective. Just even with what Sam just said. All right? Your emotional state changes from year to year to year. Sometimes it can stay the same for several years, things that you like and dislike or whatever, but your emotional state, it's something that is in flux. The things that you liked five years ago, do you like them now? There's some things you flat out don't anymore. You can just tell by growing up and the toys you don't play with anymore. If you still play with certain toys that you play with when you're four or five years old, then I think you have other psychological issues, but that's besides the point. <laughs> and it's not out of nostalgia. We're like, oh, I missed it. And then you start doing it like, oh my gosh, I'm done. All right. No, that's not what we're talking about. But there's certain things that you did when you were four, five, six, seven, eight years old that you don't do now, right? But there are some things that you still enjoy, whether it be a sport or you still enjoy art. But you're, you grow in those things. So your, your emotional makeup changes as you grow. As you grow older, you get different experiences. You learn new things. Like I learned to water ski when I was 10 years old. I love water skiing. If I could have learned it sooner, I would have done it. And so then I started water skiing and I got introduced into that new sport. I started hunting with my dad when I was like 11 years old. And that's kind of ebbed and flowed. But I started fishing with my dad when I was super young. I played baseball for a period of time and then I stopped playing baseball when I got into high school and started playing basketball. I didn't know I could sing until I was in 8th grade. And then I, So you're, the things that your likes, your dislikes, the things you're good at, things you're not good at, that can ebb and flow and change throughout your life. And even, even as people get older, the sports that you could play, the skills that you had, you're just not as good anymore. It's just part of growing old. So your emotional state changes. You can never rely on your emotional state, ever, because it's not solid. Again, no pun intended. But go ahead and take it that way. Uh-huh. Ah, all right, physical. Your physical state changes, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of you, some of you not. <laughs> all right, but you're not the same as when you were four. You're not the same. Some of you actually are. No, just kidding. Ah. <laughs> but you grow, you mature, things change, you know? Some of you have hit puberty. Some haven't yet. I don't know. Whatever. So, sorry, sorry. But your physical state changes, all right? And if anything, when you look at this from a logical perspective, which changes the first and the fastest? Your voice. I'm not talking about <laughs> Out of these three. <laughs> no. Physical. Physical. And then secondarily, it would be your emotional, and then thirdly, spiritual, okay? Now, you can grow quickly spiritually, but we're talking about things that change over time. Because God doesn't change over time. Malachi 3, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. He does not change. And so if you are growing closer to God, it's because you are coming to a better understanding of who God is and your spiritual makeup is changing. But God never changes. And so when it comes to your spiritual foundation, this is something that's incredibly important. It is the very first thing. If you don't have this in common, and I'm talking about not just salvation... 
I'm talking about salvation plus a desire to really walk with God and to fulfill God's will for your life. That is the most important thing because throughout your entire life, it doesn't matter how your emotional state changes or your physical state changes. This is always going to stay the same because God never changes. So if you don't have that in common, then you really are in a world of hurt, a world of hurt. Because from the world's perspective, this is how they look at it. Dating, the most important, is physical, always. That is what we are attracted to first, and that is what the world tells you to be attracted to first. One case in point in this one is the whole idea of marketing. Of marketing, the whole tactic of marketing is to appeal to your senses for you to have a desire to be envious and buy something that you do not have, or to look a certain way that you currently do not look. It's all about that. It's all about the aesthetics and trying to appeal to your senses in order to get you to spend money on stuff. So from the dating perspective, the world says the physical is most important. And the things that you have in common, yeah, those will last. We both enjoy hiking. We both enjoy fishing. We both enjoy you know, arts and crafts. I don't know. Whatever it is, those things we can enjoy and you can have in common, which are not necessarily a bad thing. And then if we ever get around to it, maybe we can talk about the spiritual side. In most cases, no one ever even gets here. This is not even important. I remember, and I've shared this story every time I've taught this, there was a girl that I used to work with, a lady, at uh, Charles Schwab when I worked there uh, before coming on staff here at the church. And I remember talking with her about, she had two kids, she had two boys, and um, sweet, I loved her to death. She was amazing. Um, good friends with her. She is, um, um, oh gosh, it's, it's not Greek Orthodox, it's, it's another one. Russian Orthodox. She's Russian Orthodox, so borderline Catholic, but a little bit different. Uh, it's one of those ones that celebrates Easter at different times and Christmas at different times on the calendar year. And her husband is Jewish. And as I was talking with her, she began to explain to me that as her boys were getting older, that now there comes a point where her kids are now uh, getting to the age where they can decide what they believe on their own. And if they're going to follow the path of the Russian Orthodox, or if they're going to follow the path of being Jewish, or following another path that they determine just because that's the path that they want to go down. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh my. Like, what you believe... What you believe is super important, so much so that in my case and in my life, it determines my values. It determines everything about me. It determines the decisions that I make, the things that I do, the things that I don't do. And so it's like, okay, maybe you've heard this, the last voting cycle. There's a lot of people that said um, that you shouldn't vote according to your religious beliefs. That is nonsense. If you can vote not according to your religious beliefs, then your religious beliefs means nothing. <coughs> If you really believe something, it will drive the things that you do. And it will determine, like for example, I am not going to vote for a politician as long as I have the ability to that believes in abortion. I'm not going to do it. Because biblically speaking, abortion is murder and it goes against God's order of things. Now I understand that there could be controversy over that because people always throw up the issue of well, what about if someone's raped? And I could give an answer to that. Maybe that will be for another Q&A type thing. But the whole point is that I believe the Bible. And so if I believe the Bible, it doesn't matter what I feel. I believe this, and I have, to, I have to let my life go down the course of whatever God says. And so in that scenario of my friend that I used to work with, they are teaching their children that religion means nothing. If you, if you get married, like, I can be Russian Orthodox, and my husband is a Jew, then you're teaching your kids, yeah, whatever you decide is, is whatever you want to do. Well, the Jewish religion and the Russian Orthodox religion are complete opposites. In fact, throughout history, one often killed the other when you really study it out. And so both belief systems are completely incompatible. One of them is wrong. So then you're showing your children it doesn't matter what you believe, whatever you feel, whatever you want to follow is completely up to you and it doesn't matter. And that is wrong because God is perfect and God is holy. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So one way is right, and one way has to be wrong, or they're both wrong and somebody else is right. But you can't say that both are completely different, diametrically opposed, and they both are right. That can't happen. I don't care what anybody says. It's impossible. You can't do that. So they are teaching their children religion doesn't matter. And it's just going to cause further schisms. And I'm sure, I'm sure it caused problems. And I even talked about some of the problems that it caused with even in their household. So when it comes to dating, spiritual, God's way, is always most important. You better have that in common. And again, it's not just because someone is saved. 
That is not like the bare minimum, like, oh, well, they said that they're saved, so they're okay to date. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There are people in this church that are saved that I would never recommend somebody else dating. And I know that may sound judgmental, but I mean it with all my heart because I'm talking about building a life together and having a family and children and the future of our church. And some people just need more time. They need more time to mature. They need more time in the oven. They don't want to come out half-baked. It's just not going to go well. It's just not going to go well. And I don't mean that on the high term or druggy term. I didn't mean it that way. But if you want to take it that way, fine. Because <laughs> some Christians live that way too, and it's wrong. All right. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to revisit this every single week because I want to talk about these three aspects of how do you get prepared spiritually? What does that look like? And how do you get prepared emotionally? And what does that look like? How are we going to do things God's way and really make sure that my spiritual foundation is, is where it's supposed to be? And, and how am I supposed to look for the right person spiritually? And when it comes to the emotional side, how can I... And then physical, same thing. We're going to talk about that for the next several weeks. All right, so I want to end here because I think this is a great, great list to end with that I really want you to chew on. And I included verse references on this one because I really want you to take some time to work through this and to study some of these passages because uh, I made this list years ago and I believe as I was going through that it still rings true today and it would really, again, save you from a lot of hurt. A lot of hurt. Okay. All right, so unbiblical reasons to date someone versus biblical reasons to date someone. Okay, so unbiblical. Well, they have an attractive appearance or personality. They make me feel special, like I am worth something. Now, I get that. Everyone has this innate desire to want to be special to somebody else. I, I know that. I, I remember feeling that way. I remember even as a kid, like that was, that was something that as I was infatuated with certain girls in my life throughout my years, like that was something that was important to me. It made me feel special. This person that is different from my mom and my dad and some of my other close friends, they are taking an interest in me and they like something about me and they make me feel special. That's a normal feeling. That is 100% normal. The problem is, is that that's the reason you're choosing to date. That's not a reason to date somebody. Just because somebody might flatter you or they make you feel special is not a reason to date somebody. And by the way, if you really think about it, there is no one on the planet outside of Jesus Christ that can make you feel more special. I mean, huh. it may sound cliche, but I am telling you, there is no one that loves me like Jesus Christ. Knowing me in the depths of my sin and who I am and the deepest parts of who I am. And even he understanding me better than myself, still choosing to love and care for me and to die for me and to redeem me and to make me his own. I mean, there is no one like him. I don't need someone in my life to make me feel special. He already makes me feel special enough. If that other person is going to make me feel special, it's because that they feel that way about him too. And now we have the greatest thing in common that this world has ever seen. And that's what really was going to make a solid foundation that no one can shake. No one. Another unbiblical reason. I'm missing out. Again, normal. Everyone else around you is dating or they have somebody and you don't. And so that leads you to this next point, that you're feeling lonely. And that you're envious of other couples. That you want what they have. And, but here's the other side of it. You may want what they have, but what you see is only on the surface. You really don't see what's going on on the inside. There's a lot of things that you don't see. People are in the habit of making themselves appear better than what they are. That's just human nature. It's the whole social media dynamic of things where you look on social media and it's like, oh, they have such a great life. They really, really don't. They really don't. I mean, we all are a mess. We're all a stinking mess. And the only person that can help us is Jesus Christ. That's it. I'm pressured by those, by my friends and those around me because people keep telling me to. And that's, that's honestly, it's, I get it. I get it. Or they need Jesus, and so I'm going to date them, and I'm going to win them to the Lord. That is such a bad decision. I can count on one hand the times where that's actually worked out, and even in the process, it was super messy and major mistakes were made. That is not a reason to date somebody. You do not date someone who's lost. You don't. You just don't. The Bible's clear on that one in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. They have potential, and I can help them spiritually. Okay, I get it, but that is not a reason. That is an excuse to date that person just because your flesh wants it. They say they're a Christian. Nope, still not a good reason to date somebody. They go to my church. Nope, that is not a good reason to date that person. Oh, I just want to have fun with someone at this stage in my life. Okay, these are all excuses to want what you want, to get what you want, and you really have not thought it through. You really, really haven't. Those are not good reasons to date somebody. Let me give you some good biblical reasons to date somebody. 
These are good ones. These are great measuring sticks for you. They are born again and have a proven love and faithfulness to the Lord. If they don't have, if they don't have any of this stuff, they're not worth your time. They are just not worth your time. So they have, they are born again and a proven, proven, proven. What proves something? Action over time. Time. One of the hardest things for teenagers to do is work. Yeah, wait. <laughs> and work. <laughs> yeah. No one wants to wait because they feel like if I'm going to wait, then I'm going to miss out. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on. No. I'm telling you, the right decision is worth waiting for. It is, that is, I mean, that is golden. The, it is worth waiting for. Trust me, it is worth waiting for. Even if you find out that no one, it's no one, it's better to wait. It's better to wait and end up alone than to be with the wrong person. Please trust me on that. So they're born again and have a proven faith, love and faithfulness to the Lord. They consistently challenge me in my personal walk with the Lord. There are times where you feel like they're walking with God closer than you, and it really is a, a motivation for you to walk closer to the Lord. They consistently, consistently, consistently challenge me in my personal walk with the Lord. They care more about the Lord than about me. Ooh, that's a tough one. And how do you measure that one? Practically, how would you measure that one? That they care more about the Lord than they do about you. Yeah? What they say, like, in conversations. Mm-hmm. Yep, the topic of your conversations. How else? Whether they prioritize spending time with the Lord compared to necessarily you. Yeah. I've been in plenty of scenarios, and believe me, I'm guilty, where date night consisted of not doing anything spiritually or ministry related. Right? We're going to go out, we're just going to hang out, it's just going to be us because we need some alone time. And I get that, and there's a time and a place for that. But I'm telling you, I've been in plenty of scenarios where the alone time led to temptations that were a giant mistake. When if we would have actually been doing the work of the Lord together and growing in our walk with God together, or hanging out with other people and maturing them and helping each, all of us mature together, it would have been much more beneficial and much more fruitful. Or what if they choose to do discipleship over spending time with you? Or what if they choose to attend a youth activity rather than doing something alone with you or even with a group date with other people? Priorities. It all comes back down to priorities. They value the Lord more than you. Man, that is a gem. If you find someone like that, they are a gem. You don't want to let them go. They value what the Lord values and hate what the Lord hates. And again, your measuring stick is the Word of God because you start to see that they love what God loves and they absolutely despise what God hates. That's how you know they're walking closely with God. They are humble and teachable, but not afraid to stand alone to do what's right. Even in your own face. They're humble and teachable, but they're not afraid to stand alone to do what is right. They're willing to do what's right because it's about them and the Lord first, above anybody else. They have potential and are allowing God to work out that potential. And you really see that. You know, one of the most attractive things to me as I was growing up through high school was someone that was, that was serving in ministry. It was wanting to do stuff. Like, I remember, I remember the, my first girlfriend that I had when I first really started to, to really like her. And that was when we were serving in BBS together. I saw her heart for these kids. I saw her teaching the Bible. I saw her love on these. And it was one of the most attractive things in the world to me. And it still is to this day. There is hardly anything more attractive to me in my wife than to see how she loves and cares for my kids, emotionally, spiritually, but then even how she ministers to you other girls. Like, that lights up my heart more than anything else because she loves God and she loves the work of God. And that's what draws me to her. I remember the day that I knew that I was going to marry her. And it was when I saw the fact that she was willing to say to her family, I'm going to follow the Lord even if that means that I never have a relationship with you ever again. And that was very hard for her. And I watched with my own eyes. And I did not tell her what to do. It was a decision that she had to come to on her own. But when I saw the fact, with the tears in her eyes, that she may never see her family ever again, but in that decision that she would be following the Lord and doing the Lord's will, I, that's when I knew. I'm like, I'm done. 
I'm done. Why look anywhere else? <laughs> because that's rare. Most people choose family over God. And when she comes from a family that worships, I mean, they worship family. They worship their relationships above all else. And she was willing to completely abandon that to follow the Lord. And I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. She's a winner. They find their self-worth in Jesus Christ and not from this world. They don't care about the opinions of this world. They only care about Jesus Christ. They tell me the truth even when it hurts my feelings. Whew. It's hard. But again, it goes back to our friendship lesson from last week. They keep their heart and help me to keep my own heart. It's hard to find. They are willing to wait for God's best, even if it means they end up alone. And then lastly, and this one's a very important one, which we're going to expound on in the weeks to come. A biblical reason to date is that I'm in the center of God's will and I'm ready to wait for His marriage plan, not mine. So when you look at this list, be honest, which list describes your best thought process? Which best describes it? If your perspective is more on the unbiblical side, your life's focus is not set on God but on yourself. Always remember, you will likely find what you're looking for, so be extremely careful to look for the right things. Very important. So there's a lot to chew on from today. This would have normally been like three or four different messages that I kind of whoop into one. So there's a lot to really chew on this one. So think through it, please. Yeah, Rick. Um, with that said, um, I'm going to be rather direct here. Because um, this has been something that's been kind of riding on my heart with you guys for a while. Normally we start this series after graduation uh, takes place. But um, you guys do really need to consider everything that was taught tonight because um, I'm going to take a safe bet and say that there are those of you, I'm going to challenge you to be praying about this and to take this extremely seriously because us as leaders have seen more people sink their spiritual ships over relationships. Mm -hmm. um, some of you have already made decisions. I'm taking a guess here, okay? Whether you're in a formal relationship, an informal relationship, flirting around with somebody, talking with somebody, or being friends, whatever, some of you have already stepped onto that ship and it's bound from the bottom. It's taken on water. And some of the things that were taught tonight, if you know Christ personally, you're being convicted about it. And some of you may already know that you've got some hard decisions to make before you go into camp. So it's something that you guys need to be praying about. And there's some people that may need to make some decisions that are hard. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, it goes right back to what he said. You are better making no decision than the wrong decision. And if you know, if you know in your heart of hearts because you've been convicted about it tonight, that you've got a decision to make with what you're messing around with and you know it ain't right, then you need to do business with that individual, but you also need to do prayer with the Lord first and, and, and come up with a plan. Mm -hmm. Because we want to see you guys grow spiritually, whether you're in a relationship with somebody or not. We want to see you thrive. And some of y'all get into some, some mixes with some folks that you know you ought not to be, and you stick with it, and it drags you down. And we love you guys, and we want to see you grow spiritually and not continue to pursue your fleshly pursuits or that individual's fleshly pursuits because they care about you. They hit more on the emotional and the physical side, and you like that, and you thrive on that, and it fills this void that you have. And you put the spiritual in a closet and you don't touch it until you get convicted about it. Because God's always going to show up, ring your bell, and you know it. You know you got to do something with it. So I challenge you guys tonight. Be praying about these things. Be praying about the people you've been involved with. And really ask yourself and pray it out, what do you need to do? Because the more that the, the further we get into this series the more it's going to make sense. And you can, God's into restoring you. You don't have to continue going down a path that's, that's going to lead to destruction. You can get out of it. And let Christ restore you. 
and get right with the Lord, and He will do that. I'm walking proof of that. So are so are you. So are you guys. Mm-hmm. But the time is now. Whilst your your impact, the the risk is limited. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I realize the things that I talked on tonight are very unpopular. I get that. Um, but I think if anyone's willing to be honest, that they would know that these things are absolutely true. This is where the Spirit of God works, and He confirms these things. Um, that you don't need me necessarily saying it's true. You just know on the inside that these things are absolutely true. So, again, um, very important. This will lay the groundwork for the next few weeks. Um, and I hope you guys uh, really take these things into consideration. All right, let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Bobby, why don't you pray? Close this out. Father, I do appreciate the, uh, the honesty that's shared here tonight. And uh, I can't help but take and place myself back in the shoes of these students, Lord, and uh, wish I would have heeded a lot of this counsel. But God, uh, even as Rick said, Lord, you are in the restoration business. Wherever anybody's at in here, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just open their eyes to the truth of your word, that they would see how much you love them. That the plans that you have for them are awesome, Father, and that uh, there would be no pride in these decisions. Uh, that at the end of the day, that they would seek uh, to bring you glory in their life uh, through the decisions that they make, the thoughts that they had. Uh, so, Father, I pray that these truths, that they would honestly make their way down into our heart and affect every decision that we make um, in our relationships, friendships, relationships with our parents, bosses, co-workers, other students. Lord, that uh, you would allow us to be beacons of light, going really against things that used to be naturally accepted in this world, and even uh, biology, gender, Lord, everything's being attacked that you've set up. Father, I pray that we would stand for truth, and our lives would be living examples um, what your what your word Mm-hmm.